0: Hello and welcome to the Building Cities Shaping Lives podcast, where we talk about how architecture, engineering and managed services are shaping the world that we live in. This podcast is brought to you by the Sabana Jurong Group. I'm your host, Daniel Lee, and I'm part of the SJ Group communications and branding team. Dams are some of the most impressive structures built by humanity, and they can have a measurable impact on the Earth's rotation, slowing it down and making our days a tiny bit longer. Besides helping to control floods and to supply clean drinking water, dams also provide the biggest source of renewable energy today – hydropower. That said, hydroelectric projects can have profound impacts on the environment and on communities as riverbeds are exposed and valleys are flooded. Organisations around the world are working on standards and frameworks to avoid and to mitigate negative impacts joined today by Karen Atkinson, Deputy Chief Operating Officer for SMEC Southeast Asia and who sits on the boards of the International Hydropower Association and the SMEC Foundation. She leads a team at SMEC to deliver sustainable development projects across the region. Welcome to the studio, Karen.
1: Thanks, Daniel. Great to be here.
0: It's a pleasure so i think one of the questions that we wanted to kick off today is just to understand the role of hydropower so how does hydropower compare to or complement other sources of renewable energy
1: thanks daniel so i, I think you've, you've touched on a really important point there so hydro whilst being renewable in its own right um you know generating power from from water flowing downhill it's also very very complementary to other technologies such as wind and solar um, when you install hydropower in a format we call pumped storage, um, it can actually act as a battery, a battery made of water for the energy generated by wind and solar. So in that way, um, you can use the energy from wind and solar even when the sun is not shining or the wind is not blowing because you store it in this water battery and and, uh, and use the power when it's most needed, uh, maybe at night time or, or something like that. So so hydro has a huge role to play as a complementary um, energy source with things like wind and solar. Um, the other role that hydro plays in um establishing the um, stability of our electricity grids is also that you need a certain amount of large rotational generating capacity in an electricity grid. And as countries increasingly remove coal and gas-fired power stations from their grids, hydropower can act as that grid stabiliser in a way that some of the other renewable energies can't currently. That's
0: brilliant. So almost a giant water battery that stabilizes everything. Water battery, everything. absolutely
1: yes. Wow.
0: And actually, when it comes to locations to place these batteries, would you say that the world is running out of locations, optimal locations about dams and reservoirs?
1: Not batteries? at all. I mean, you know, whilst there are already a lot of dams installed around the world, um, there's a huge amount of locations that can be considered um, in future for more development. Um, the International Energy Agency has actually done estimates of, of how much hydropower we need to add to our systems to hit our targets of 1.5 degrees C. And, uh, and the, the available sites are, um, are out there. Uh, we just need to move forward and develop them. Um, and the other thing, of course, is that with um, pumped hydro... It can be off-river. So there is this perception that um, hydropower is always about damming a river and interrupting a natural water course and damaging that natural environment. But you can build offline storage, which means that there's no impact to the river hardly at all. Um, and there's been some very large examples of this um, in Spain recently Um which uh, have really proved the concept.
0: Wow, so really off grid uh, hydro that doesn't impact your water systems and biodiversity as
1: Absolutely, well. Absolutely, oh, yes. I see.
0: And actually, linked to that, um, when it comes to even some of these standalone hydro projects, would people be impacted? You know, does it end up flooding um, existing homes, existing settlements? Uh, even, yeah, how are some of our stakeholders impacted by hydro developments?
1: So that's a really important consideration in any hydro development. It doesn't matter whether it's on a on a river or an off gr- off grid kind of storage. Um, you know, one of the key elements that the hydropower sustainability standard asks developers to look at is how a community is affected. So. Um, you know, sometimes people do have to be relocated when a new reservoir is is created. And, and there have been examples in the past where this has not been done in a sensitive or um, sustainable manner. Um, but I think it, it can be done right. We just have to put the effort in to identify what are the solutions for the particular community that... Um, that is affected and, and that will be different depending on the, cult, the country, the cultural context, whatever else. It can be done. There's examples where it's been done well. Uh, we need to make sure that becomes the industry norm.
0: It's brilliant. And I think you mentioned industry norm and the need to make this something that's consistent across, right? <laughs> but I think one thing that came to mind was a sort of prisoner's dilemma of sorts. So uh, for organizations and developers like yourselves, for example, when you do go through all the necessary consultations, it slows down the process a little, it's expensive potentially. Mm-hmm. How does, is that actually a disadvantage when it comes to maybe other organizations that are willing to uh, do things a lot quicker or maybe bypass certain consultations? Do you ever see that issue?
1: Um, I, th- I think that has been the case in the past. Um, what we need to do is um, create a, um, an environment where, in terms of, of um, national government approvals for these projects, so that the bad projects are not allowed to happen. Um, I think that will happen both through regulation um, by governments, but also it will happen through industry pressure, You know, as in other industries, we've seen um, the financiers and insurance companies put a lot of pressure on companies to become more environmentally friendly, more aware of sustainability. The same will happen with hydro. Um, Those finance and um, organisations will have a huge role to play in ensuring that future projects are done well and are done properly.
0: It's brilliant. And you know, it's not just a regulation thing, it's really the whole of industry, the entire ecosystem.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: I think linked to that I wanted to maybe dive a little bit into some specifics of what you guys do Mm -hmm. so um, beyond you know this uh, looking at sustainability as a whole um, one bit of research that we we, um, interesting fact that we discovered while uh, researching this topic was the notion of fish cannons or salmon cannons (laughs) that were being used to help fish cross the rivers so are there any other interesting (laughs) stories from your your experience
1: wow I haven't heard of a fish (laughs) cannon before I have to say um, I you know, I've worked on projects in the past that um, were looking at innovative solutions for fish lifts, um, wow. which, which are, are quite common, um, particularly for um, uh, fish that are active swimmers, like, like salmon, I guess. But, um, yeah, so those sort of structures that help um, the wildlife to, to pass through the dam, going upstream and downstream, are um, are common and they're evolving all the time. Um some of the other things that are being looked at at the moment include um, using reservoirs as a place to put solar panels. Um, that's becoming increasingly popular now, um, and and it obviously makes sense when you think about it. There's a, a large flat area available on the reservoir. Why not put solar panels there and and generate some extra electricity? So so that's um that's quite common. Um, and another thing that people are looking at is um, actually the um, the dams themselves. You know, obviously there's a lot of concrete involved in, in building a dam and how can we look at the materials used there um, to make that a little bit more environmentally friendly um, and the actual reservoir itself. So some reservoirs can... Um, collect a lot of um, vegetation debris in the reservoir, uh, which can Give off some um, greenhouse gases, and and so there's research being done into how do you mitigate that. You know, how do you um, make sure that the reservoir isn't um, isn't giving off any um, any methane or anything like that. So you know, there's a number of, of areas of research going on um, in the in dams. Yeah. Wow,
0: well, that sounds a lot more complex than simply uh, what the beavers do, right? Just blocking <laughs> kind of off the water and hoping for fish.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> i mean of course also in the actual turbines themselves mm. the, the power generating equipment that's being refined all the time um, to make it more efficient um, you know there's a lot of um very old hydropower stations in the world you know it's it's an old technology people have been uh, using water wheels uh, you know way back in time and There are a number of projects that are, you know, 50, 70 plus years old in the world. And so there's a lot of work going into how do you refurbish those hydropower stations so that they can continue to be active for the next 100 years. Uh, You know, that's one of the things about hydropower is that the infrastructure has a very, very long life. Uh, You think of a solar panel, it might be effective for... I don't know, 20 years or so, and then you have to replace it. A hydropower station, you build it, it will be there for several hundred years. Yeah. Wow. Actually,
0: mm. I never really considered that. So even though the original embodied carbon might be a bit higher, mm-hmm. but the long-term um, maintainability and the, the utility of this plant is way
1: Absolutely. Yes, yes. Interesting.
0: And I I think linked to that, I was also considering the aspect of financing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we tend to think of large hydroelectric projects in America and China, for example, and Mm -hmm. now I think these are countries that can sort of afford it. Mm -hmm. But how would uh, this long-term payoff of hydroelectric projects impact maybe um, these developments and other regions that might be maybe a little further back in their development cycles?
1: It's a really interesting question, and it's one of the Um, hurdles that we're trying to overcome by talking to um, policymakers and regulators and and finance groups about this. So because with hydropower, it's a high initial investment outlay, but a very long payback period, that sometimes doesn't fit with the financial models that um, banks and other institutions have. And so how do we Change the way that they're doing the financial modelling to reflect the true economic benefit of, of hydropower. And, you know, the other thing that doesn't get factored in when you cost up a traditional um, cost-benefit analysis for a hydropower plant is these other roles that hydro is playing. You know, you you can't at the moment put a cost on the grid stability aspect that I talked about before. Um You know, you can't, you can put a cost on the energy that's produced from hydro acting as a water battery, but you can't put a cost on how much wind and solar would have gone to waste in the system if that water battery hadn't been there. You know, those are some of the intangible things at the moment, which are definite benefits of hydro, but we need to find a way to factor those into the financial modelling to make the projects much more bankable and and more likely to proceed. Um, You know, you talked about um, different regions and and different affordabilities. And one of the other things that will also make these projects uh, more viable is as um, particularly in the ASEAN region, um, the electricity grids become more interconnected. You know, there's been work done already on what does the ASEAN grid look like. There are projects um, in places like Laos that export energy. Um, There's many projects being talked about currently for how do you how does Singapore import power, for instance, um, from Australia or Indonesia or you know any other country in ASEAN. So I think as those grids become more connected. It provides a bigger market for the power um, and hopefully will help the projects more economic as well.
0: That's wonderful. So Singapore gets that short-term, uh, not short-term, short-to-medium-term power, mm-hmm. and that in turn funds the development of this very, very important renewable resource.
1: Potentially. Potentially. Yes, that's right. Yeah.
0: It's mm. I think the last thing you mentioned just now about you know, 200, 300-year-long projects, but one thing that we were a little concerned about is really the impact of climate change on hydrology. Mm-hmm. So what would the changes in rainfall patterns and climates, would that be something good for hydropower dams or would that potentially impact our ability to generate?
1: I I think it's it's both, depending on where you're talking about is the real answer. I mean, you know, we see pictures of dams in the United States, particularly at the moment, that uh, have very, very low water levels um, because there's some regions, um, particularly the arid zones in the US, that are seeing much reduced um, rainfall than they than they normally would, so I think it's made everybody very conscious that when we do the modelling of the hydrology in a catchment, we have to take into account those climate effects. So some areas will be tending to become drier, uh, whereas other areas will become wetter. Um, so it, it doesn't. Um, You know, I I think it doesn't rule out hydropower, it might just slightly influence where are the better regions to do it. But I think what it absolutely underscores is that, you know, climate change is is real. We have to shift away from um, fossil fuel um, power sources and and hydro is a big piece of that puzzle. We cannot get there just relying on other renewable energies. Hydro um, has huge capacity and, um, you know, we we have to generate these projects. Um, You know, the other climate impact that we talk about often, droughts is one part of that, but the other part is floods. You know, look at Pakistan right now. Huge, huge flooding problems that are absolutely tragic for millions and millions of people And, um, you know, as you said in your introduction, one of the roles that dams can play is flood mitigation. Um, And so I think having dams that are multi-purpose and that not only generate power or not only supply water, but generate power, supply water and mitigate floods um, is really um, how these projects should be considered in the future.
0: Multi-pronged, three-in-one approach. Absolutely, yeah. So what are some things that uh, financiers are thinking about differently when it comes to planning the returns or modelling the returns of hydro projects?
1: I, um, to be honest, this is a very evolving space mm. right now. Um, I, I think a lot of um, finance is still considered on a return time frame that's quite short. You know, if you're looking for a return, in 10 to 15 years that's not going to work for a hydropower project so um, you need uh, a a finance structure that's able to look at that much longer duration payback Um, and so it's an area that's certainly evolving but i think there is certainly more money out there that is looking for renewable projects to invest in I think as some of the very early um, wind and solar projects start to age, people will maybe um, get more aware of the longevity differences. Mm. Um, so it's it's an evolving space right now. I think I think there's still still some work to do um, in that area, but. Um, we definitely see um, more people taking a look at hydro projects more seriously, um, which, is, which is really exciting to see.
0: Thank you, Karen. It's great to hear that hydroelectricity looks set to play an important role alongside other renewables. And thank you for listening to Building Cities, Shaping Lives, a podcast by the Sabana Jurong Group, where we talk about how architecture, engineering and managed services are shaping the world that we live in. I'm Daniel Lee, a communicator with the SJ Group. Subscribe to our podcast on your favourite platforms and please consider leaving us a review to help make our future episodes better. That's all for today. See you next time.